Hello and welcome to This Week at the Movies. I'm Matt. And I'm Eric. And this week, Eric and I decided not to join the Swifties in reliving the Eras Tour in theaters. And instead, we are going to be embracing another of the biggest releases of the week, which is the latest from Mike Flanagan based on Edgar Allan Poe's story, The Fall of the House of Usher. It dropped on Thursday. I, Eric, do you think that Netflix should have waited one more day? Uh, no. Did they have? <laughs> it, well, it seemed like everybody else decided that they were going to drop their spooky series on Friday the 13th. Netflix was just like, no, we, we're going to do Thursday. Even though they do drop a lot of Friday content. Yeah, it, I mean, it was there for Friday the 13th, you know? I think people are less likely to binge all eight hours in one go. If they have other options. Challenge accepted. Yeah. And passed, apparently. So. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Eric and I are going to be talking about the series. Uh, we have both made it through. Eric has completed it. Uh, much to 99. his 99.95%. I'm 10 minutes from the end of the last episode. And, and if and you've seen can't. the very, very ending, you know that there's like something i can't talk about and it's not like monumental it's just so cool in ways i can't explain like uh everything I mean, is it's, reveals it's fine i knew what i was getting in for i'm still gonna watch it hmm. look no you know things happen things happen yeah Mike Flanagan has really found a home uh, with Netflix. You know, it's become a near annual rite of passage that he de delivers one of these uh, series. We will talk about a couple of the long form series and then a couple of the Stephen King adaptations he's done uh, for films, one of which is streaming on Netflix. One, I believe, is on HBO Max right now. Uh, so we will look at that. But we are going to start with, you know, the the immediate one, The Fall of the House of Usher, you know, is very highly anticipated. Eight episode series, all the episodes dropped on Thursday, features a cast that if you have watched a lot of Mike Flanagan, you will recognize a lot of the faces from a lot of the projects he's done. Uh, out front and center, Bruce Greenwood, uh, who is and Carla Gugino, who actually were the tandem in another project we'll talk about a little bit later. His wife, Kate Siegel. Um, you know, we saw Henry Thomas in there. We saw plenty of familiar faces, uh, you know, in flashbacks. We saw Zach Guilford, who's been part of the last couple that he has done. Um, Most of the Midnight Club was in there. I wasn't as big on the Midnight Club, so I didn't pick up on all those, but bully for you for, for keeping track of that. Um, I did recognize that most of the key players from Midnight Mass, which I love, were in there. But Eric, uh, you have completed it. Um, we weren't sure last week how many of the episodes we'd all make it through. So I was letting you take the lead. When you said you thought you were going to finish it, I'm like, challenge accepted almost. <laughs> but what, uh, what did you think of this one? All right. If you're watching it in pieces and you're watching this and you haven't seen the whole thing, I, I had a different opinion. And I had this happens to me. This happened to me with Haunting of Bly Manor. Uh, Midnight Club, not Midnight Mass, Midnight Club, and like it happens sometimes in the beginnings of his movies where there's like there's there's a little bit of world building and all of his stories are usually set 
in present day. So you have to do a lot of sort of humdrum people living their lives in order for horror to creep into that. And in this, when they're trying to build the characters, when they're trying to build all of the house of Usher, the, the, the people, and, and they set up this framework that you're going to watch them fall one episode at a time. You know, from the very beginning, they let you know Usher and his sister, all of the kids are pretty much dead. And so you're trying to figure out, like, in this pretty framework. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> all... First five minutes, they tell you they're all dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so there's this framework of this attorney that he knew ever since he was in his 20s and 30s starting to build his empire. And he's confessing all of the family secrets and, and horrors and, and what happened with these murders to him all to lead up to confess to a murder. And that's like the whole story. And I love the whole story, but there are pieces that I don't like, I'm I, you can't really skip it. You're stuck kind of understanding it in context. I think the most standalone piece would be the black cat uh, so each episode is named after an Edgar Allan Poe short story. And unfortunately, he was one of my favorite characters. And he was one of my favorite actors, Raul Kohli. And his story is the most like you could clip it out and you wouldn't miss much, you know, moving forward. And so it was just kind of like that. You know, it, one, one, of the, one of the younger ushers is uh, Kate Siegel, the, um, Mike Flanagan's wife, who's in... Almost so, every project he's made since high Is it they're retired in reverse order of progeny, right? I believe so. I, I believe it goes youngest. Which old. is a real bummer because, as I told you, my one uh, first Twitter note was not enough Kate Siegel. Because um, yeah. unfortunately, she was one of the younger of the Usher progeny. Yeah, she's like episode three. Yeah, the murders uh, of the Rue Morgue. Probably the most distressing, though, of the actual deaths uh, is two. Oh yeah. When that? Oh, there is it, the first two the episodes. I was like, are your uh, book. Uh, no. Mm -hmm. Deeply yeah. unsettling. Um, you know the the gotcha in episode seven is a little bit unsettling, but by then. I, I think my struggle a little bit was some of the, to me, least interesting of the Usher progeny were the oldest. I I just, there were, there were, I wanted something. My big thing about this whole story overall is uh, there is this running sort of explored because it's present, but it's not really explored based on like consequence or storytelling theme of sexuality everyone has a niche sexuality whether it's whether it's uh sexual orientation or kinks or like the the sister who grew up and never had any children she is very sort of i wouldn't say asexual i would almost say anti-sexual there's a lot of talk and discourse about uh, sexuality being the behavior of like lesser than people and like just just comments about how it makes you like human versus someone who is godlike or able to overcome if you engage in sexuality and 
I don't 100% know what they were going for with this, but like you said, one of the older children, her, this whole thing, your setup over multiple episodes is this whole thing that she hires uh, prostitutes for her husband and she, she watches this in a voyeuristic way. And by the time they get to her episode where but they're the exploring only life... They really show it before the kind of gotcha video is... I, I wasn't 100% sure what they were doing with them. Yeah, no, that will see that one time they show it, it's like, oh, to have dinner. Yeah, and and the well, and the one time they show what's going on, like in in the bedroom and whatnot on the screens, is a delusion that she's having, and and it's something that she's like embarrassed and angry about, and like I don't know, it it, it just feels like they were trying to say something and then they never said anything. That's my only gripe. I don't think the story had to be more about it. I think for what this is. This is like soaked in Edgar Allan Poe in the absolute best ways. I, I love just the dreary, like it was a dark and stormy night vibe of the whole thing. And uh, I, every, every single acting, acting performance, I thought, ranged from enjoyable to genius. Um, so you have characters like uh, uh, Henry Thomas, who I think is doing a competent, excellent job with a character that is a very strange character. And it's hard to write it in a way that would like resonate in like truthful. Like he, he seems like a completely almost apathetic guy who turns into a complete monster. And he does a very good job with that where you have something that's almost the same. Uh, Tania Miller as Victorine in the Telltale Heart, the way that she plays her realization that she's come to madness blew me away. Like I, I thought she was spectacular. Like I, th there were so many little moments for each actor to get to like really shine. I think I can't remember who we're talking about recently, but we talked about a story where Actors are never quite given enough to breathe, to do what they're going to do. Do you remember what? I feel like it was a horror thing. I mean, that was probably true of The Exorcist last week. It's been true of a lot of things. <laughs> it has been true of a lot of things. Anyways, if people are having trouble getting a response of people knowing like that you care about your characters, they should look to Mike Flanagan because even the characters that I ended up not really caring about, I was still engaged by the tone, the mood, like there's no episode of the show that I would say was like a waste of time or anything like that. It was, it was all incredibly engaging and it all built up so satisfyingly to the end that the thing as a whole, I absolutely like two thumbs up love. So that's what I would say. This is probably one of the rare pieces of, um, you know, television or miniseries where the whole is greater than the sum of any of its parts. In previous iterations, I could point to one or two episodes that were like phenomenal. And in yep. here, I don't really have an episode that I liked demonstrably more than any of the others. Um, mm -hmm. It was, but as a whole, so this is his fifth. Uh, for Netflix long form miniseries. You know, we started in 18 with Haunted Hill 
in 20, we had Bly Manor. 21, we had Midnight Mass. 22, we had Midnight Club. And now 23, we have the fall of the House of Usher. And in between, you know, in 17 and 19, he did Gerald's Game and Dr. Sleep, both of which we'll talk about. For me, House of Usher isn't my favorite of his miniseries, but it's it's like squarely in the middle. I actually, when I was doing my ranking, I have a three of five of those, you know, five miniseries. Mm -hmm. Which two are below it? I'm curious. Midnight Club. I think I know which two are above. Why Manor? Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's close for me with Haunted Hill, um, but there was something about that being kind of a kind of an entry point, probably for me. Uh, I I have seen Gerald's Game since, but I had not seen that one prior to watching Haunted Hill. Um, mm -hmm. That that really worked for me. I gave it a I gave it a solid thumbs up. Uh, you know, I thought it was enjoyable and worth checking out. Uh, but let's. Let's since we were just talking about, we'll transition. Uh, I figure we'll go back. This was the first of his kind of Netflix long form ones. He had done a few horror movies since then, probably most notably Gerald's Game, which we'll look at uh, in a little bit here. But this is House on Haunted Hill, uh, 2018. Another, um, I think, was a classic horror movie that's been remade a few times, sometimes yeah. uh, very badly. <laughs> Sometimes with Owen Wilson and Liam Neeson, and Owen Wilson is a treasure, don't get me wrong, but it was not great. <clears throat> and then, yeah. This is one I, you know, when it was coming out, I didn't have incredibly high expectations because I had seen some of the more modern um, updates of House on Haunted Hill. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was really actually quite taken with what they did here and with the performances and with the way the, the miniseries unfolded. Um, really drew me in and probably that's this is what for me put mike flanagan on my radar and that's mm -hmm. why i have it a little bit higher probably than house house of usher house of usher is probably a more polished production if we were going to talk about that uh you know and i liked some of the um the casting choices and some of the performances a touch better I, you know i think mark hamill is completely underrated in what he does in the fall of the house of usher and the way he bounces through and his his scene in the final episode does it for me but i you know i've always enjoyed house on Haunted hill that would be another one i would give a thumbs up mm -hmm. um Oh boy. So the same, the haunting of Hill house, uh, you gotta, there's a careful thing. House on haunted Hill is a separate story. That's like a Vincent price classic that has its own series of remakes and things. And haunting of Hill house is a book that was adapted into a movie in the sixties that has its own remakes and whatnot. And it's not that there's like, I mean, the, both of them have a few things in common and whatnot, but I, I, I thought I was getting something along the lines of House on Haunted Hill when I was getting into this series. And I was like, oh, a long form haunted house story. How awesome would that be? And then the first time happened, and it's happened every single time since then, my heart hurt. Not like jump scare wise, but like my heart hurt. Feeling for the characters and family. And he really knows how to blend scares with the horrific nature of what can happen to people. We talk about the bent neck lady. It's been years for spoilers of this, but I still, I'm not going to go into explaining it, but you know, you talk about the bent neck lady, you talk about what happened to their mother. You talk about what the house really is. And you talk about like the red room and the way that that is. He's it's such a great blend of so many different times of types of like haunted house understanding creepy. And then 
I got into a bunch of things like Hush, his sequel to Ouija, uh, is uh, a sort of sort of secret, not really uh, expansion on the Exorcist mythology. Uh, there's been videos that talk about like how he sort of changed the rules of what possession meant in one based on the fact that in the exorcist, the only hint that you get from that movie of Reagan's possession was playing with an exorcist, uh, your Ouija board. And so like, I don't know, they like every, I it just caught on that every time I see Mike Flanagan's name, whatever type of horror movie it is, whether it's Oculus, Hush, Gerald's game, Stephen King, not Stephen King, whatever it is. It's a cut above other movies like it. Ouija, the first movie, I I don't have a lot of time to do like the platitudes of like any movie is hard to make. It's bad. But Origin of Evil, its prequel, is a cut above most possession movies of its kind. And so Hill House like really struck me. And I I gave it two thumbs up just based on how much I fell for the characters and whatnot like that. I I mean, I have the physical copy. I wish they would release my favorite series by him on physical media. There's been like a slow campaign on different media websites for it to happen. And it won't happen because Netflix doesn't do this. And it's not. Well, I guess I can't say it's not fair. It's still up to watch. So, you know, which I think you're in mind favorite is uh, what. I had next, which is uh, 2021 uh, Midnight Mass, a seven episode uh, miniseries that it ends tackling what I would say is probably a traditional horror genre, but that actually isn't. It's really not about that. It's not about that. And, you know, by this is the rare one where I still love it. It's probably an all time, like, television thing for me but mm-hmm. the finale is probably one of my the episodes i'm least interested in yeah i mean the, so which is fascinating yeah like uh i think you and i i both agree that probably one of the best moments of that show is a monologue on a boat that you you have literally no idea where you're gonna go and the stunning sacrifice it's probably because I think for me, in any of the projects I've ever seen him do, Zach Guilford's character in Midnight Mass and his arc in Midnight Mass is probably the most compelling thing I've ever seen. Yep. Yep. Um, the only the like the only case I would make, like if that was even needed to be in competition with that would be um, uh, Hamish Linklater. Uh, who just, he has to play a very, like I said, um, Henry Thomas in Fall of House of Usher has to play a very, a character that goes through a very bizarre state of mind and actions. And Hamish Linklater has to play a human who, without spoiling too much of things, isn't his age and is burying multiple secrets and see something that we would in instantly recognize as one type of mythology, but he sees it through his religious faith. And so he has to sell you on his faith in this, in this sort of mystical imbued creature. And it, uh, I, I hate telling people 
what the creature is because I feel like it sets people's minds wrong for how to walk into this series. But it is, it is so unbelievable. Like everything, like if there's a big theme, Fall of House of Usher is, is money and the chase of riches and, and, and like the cost of that religion and the meaning it gives to people's lives and the purpose and meaning of that is midnight mass. And he, he like tackles these massive dragons of themes and he's like, yeah, well I have like seven, eight hours of screen time to tackle that theme. So I'm going to do it. And then he just writes it and it, it just works. And I like for, I don't know if some people think he's too ham fisted of her complaints about the monologues being too long, but everything is earned for me in midnight mass. It is one of my favorite television series of all time and i think it might be my favorite horror story period so yeah and it's such a singular vision too he directed all the episodes it stands out and apart from the other four that he's done um it feels like he was more directly it was more uniquely his project than anything else. like even follow the house of usher it's not that he wasn't the creator and doesn't have a screen credit on each of the scripts he directed half of them mm -hmm. and he's definitely very involved nobody would question that but midnight mass feels a little bit different in being more of a kind of i i just feels like more of a singular vision and it is the probably the theological exploration that really hits home for me. And you get that a lot in Zach Guilford's from those opening moments at the, the crash. Yeah. Uh, and you feel this weight of guilt that he feels of this desire to atone and never really knowing how and being afraid to let himself be happy or in any way feel like he's off the hook. And it's just, beautiful and the back and forth between him and kate siegel um is wonderful uh him and hamish linkladder is wonderful um raul coley who you really enjoyed a lot in fall of the house of usher is a fascinating and delightful character in midnight mass um a really strong heart of the show um, you know, Henry Thomas as Guilford's father, the back and forth. I mean, you're seeing a lot of these actors recurring time and again. It just the way that it all comes together. It was incredibly moving and remains, you know, so. Um, it's a weird note that my wife and I mentioned that uh, Raul Coley, I think, came into the picture in Bly Manor. Uh, as far as recurring in, in his collection of actors that uh, recur in the person we're talking about. Mike Flanagan's uh, movies. Uh, and with Fall of House of Usher, he's gained another cast member from the show, iZombie, who played <laughs> the, the lawyer when he was younger. And uh, just a little bit part of me wants me to like see that happen more and more because the... <laughs> He needs Actor, to get uh, the main girl, Rose uh, McIver. He need, yes, he needs to get her. He also needs to get like the lead antagonist of that show because he played Jack Torrance in 
the miniseries adaptation of The Shining that Stephen King prefers to the Stanley Kubrick movie. And I'm so, like, to be able to link that together would be really satisfying. Anyways. Stephen Weber played the, uh, they're playing more than one miniseries. But, yeah. You know, famously, though, Stanley Kubrick didn't always uh, hew close to source material, which I could understand why. Stephen King. It is Stephen Weber is the guy who. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was also the main bad guy in iZombie, so it's like. I also forgot about that. Um, Well, as I mentioned, uh, Mike Flanagan, while he has excelled at making kind of long form miniseries, has also done some movies, and one of the first, uh, probably uh, big ones you hear people talk about uh, that Eric. I know you are a huge fan of is Gerald's game, which came out in 2017, just a year before uh, Hill house and uh, features Carla Gugino and Bruce Greenwood in an adaptation of a Stephen King novel. And since they factor so prominently and so prominently in uh fall of the house of usher, it makes sense that we would, uh, chat about this one. I've seen it. I I thought it was well done. I wouldn't consider it one of my favorites. So I'm going to turn the floor over to you because I know how much you enjoy this movie. I was just blown away by the. I mean, there's always there's the bottle episode, phone booth type of story. I just think they did so much with this story in terms of expanding on it and talking about abuse. And, and pulling things together in a visually thematic way. This one, I have to re-watch it. I, I, I think it might be a one thumb up to me because I was just absolutely floored by the most harrowing twist that I didn't see coming at the very end of the movie. And uh, it, it involves the Moonlight Man, um, who also features in Doctor Sleep. And so there's... <sighs> Gerald's game was just like a really effective, like powerful emotional ride to me. Uh, it's not like the, it sticks out as one of the greatest like things ever, but, Oh, that was my knee. Um, who, uh, yes, but it's, it's interesting. You're suffering for your art. That's Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's interesting to me that we're, we're talking about, this is his he Netflix. Hush was Netflix. This is Netflix. He's had a Netflix contract. He's done all these Netflix series. And it's interesting we're talking about this now when it's potentially over. Because his recent contract discussions have been about moving to Amazon. And this is, I think, his first Stephen King adaptation um, was Gerald's Game. And that is what's bringing him over to Amazon is the chance to adapt the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. And... I love him and Stephen King together. Like it's, it's all just kind of worked again. It's it's not like they become the great. I think his, his series are masterpieces, but his movies, you know, I, I think they're all just like a cut above. They're all just better than average. He's just extremely reliable storyteller and director. And that's, that's what Gerald's game is. This is like the start of this journey that's going on. So, yeah. And I have to say, for me, I think Carla Gugino is an incredibly underrated actress in everything. Uh, she talked about elevating like small parts or parts and even things that I 
I don't always care for. I have long thought that she was great at just being able to pick up a role and elevate it um, in a lot of different things. And I think that's a big part of what helps to make this one work. Um, I'll be curious to see if they do more Stephen King because the last one we're going to talk about is uh, he was actually the director for Dr. Sleep, uh, which is sort of a sequel to The Shining. Um, this was you probably wouldn't have necessarily thought of uh, for him. It came out in 2019. It was a theatrical movie, uh, unlike a lot of his kind of stuff for Netflix. I actually, when I first went into watching this movie, didn't realize he was the director for it. And I remember going into it, I hadn't read the, the novel, and I was like, I'm not sure I need a sequel to The Shining. And as I was watching it, I was just getting more and more hooked in the story. I really enjoyed it. When I went back to look some stuff up, I was like, oh, this makes some <laughs> sense. Um, you know, it's a movie I would give a, give a thumb up. I I liked what Ewan McGregor did. I like the whole way it's put together. It has a completely different vibe than especially the theatrical movie, The Shining. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's a little bit longer. I think it's 160 minutes, but it's really engaging. Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of pulls you in, like you said, that being able to tell a story and get, um, it's 152 minutes, uh, and be able to get... Um, into the actors and the narrative. I thought the time just flew by. Uh, maybe it was just preparing us for the year 2023 when two and a half hours is a, you know, is a starter movie. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Eric, what did you think of Dr. Sleep? You know, I, it's funny. You mentioned the runtime and, and that's actually for the non extended version. And I weirdly enough, prefer the extended version. I, um, I actually left Dr. Sleep having issues and I'm not some like super huge fan of the shining Stanley Kubrick movie or anything like that. I, I do like the movie a lot, but Dr. Sleep had this, this sort of prevalent issue where there were horrific things happening, but like you said, it's a two and a half hour movie. And after about an hour when Jacob Tremblay's character is no longer in the movie, um, from that point on, the good guys are winning the whole time. You know, and, and it's it it felt to me very like confusing how little stakes there were. There's this whole camp of essentially vampires, like energy vampires that are hunting people down. And there's one scene where the lead heroes seem to be like, all right, they've crossed the line. Let's just like pick them off. And like they're all just basically gone, except for one. And then the ending of the story is set up in a, an absolute brilliant payoff where he basically gives the ending of the book, The Shining, that he replaced the ending of Dr. Sleep with the ending to the book, The Shining, giving the original movie the original book's ending. I thought that was absolutely genius. I love that move. But again, it's sort of... I, I felt like I could feel watching the movie like okay, you went back to finish The Shining at the end and you just kind of tapered away from the threats and the villains of this story and now that's just kind of over. And I, so I, I just, there were some things in there that I felt like the consequences weren't very, like the stakes weren't very high, but still, still, as a sure-footed director, as an imaginative visual storyteller, being able to recreate the sets and the tone and the feel of these places and being able to make a movie that lives 
in its own aesthetic, but still fits with the shining. Like there is so much worth there that you can't deny. Like I, I am definitely one thumb up on it. I just, I just like the, the theatrical cut of that movie. It's, it's very, I feel like it is very quick, but it's kind of because things are just kind of moving along. It's like, Oh, there's an obstacle. Oh, we overcame it. Oh, there's an obstacle. Oh, we overcame it. And it's like, okay. All right. Well, if you take nothing else away from uh, tonight, it's that we've given you plenty of options. If you are looking for some spooky season options, uh, there are still 16 days left in this month of October. Um, We've given you three different Mike Flanagan series for a total of 23 episodes and a couple of films, both of which are streaming. Um, so a lot of stuff to check out if you haven't seen The Fall of the House of Usher. Um, both of us gave it a, at least one thumb up. Uh, mm -hmm. Very worth checking out. But if you haven't seen Midnight Mass, I would do yourself a favor and uh, and go find that one first. And and it's, uh, it's in some parts of the country, it's it's just becoming cold, and other parts of the world is different and whatnot. But just it's it's time. Just <laughs> if you haven't watched it, it's time. Uh, and that'll wrap it up for this week. Next week, we are going to tackle The Killers of the Flower Moon, which is a highly anticipated film whose total runtime might be about equal to the eight episodes we just watched. All yeah, probably. <laughs> when you're looking at a theatrical movie and you see 200 as the starting number of minutes, it definitely, you know, you've you know, you got to do those calisthenics, practice sitting for a while still. Two kegels. Um, you know, maybe start start going off of I don't know about that, but you start going <laughs> off of water, you know, wean yourself off of fluids. Um, but we will be back next week talking about that uh, late, the latest uh, collaboration between Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio, looking back at some of their other previous collaborations as well. But head out, fire up Netflix, find some Mike Flanagan. And, and happy uh, spooky season. Happy spooky season. We'll see you guys at the movies or in your armchair.